This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality. This is episode number 23 for September 2012, live from the Toronto Film Festival. Your hosts for this episode are Ken Moorfield, that's me, and wait, you're not Todd Truffin, it's... Andrew Johnson, welcome to The Muppet Show! Yeah, <laughs> Glad uh, to be here. Andrew, why don't you tell people a little bit about who you are and why you're here instead of Todd? Well, I am a uh, film critic and a journalist. I'm also the founder of Film Geek Radio, um, and you and I have been f- friends for a, a few years now, and I've always wanted to come uh, and appear on the, the, the film place as a guest, because actually, uh, that that intersection between spirituality and film is actually kind of what inspired me to study film in the first place. And and you're at the Toronto International Film Festival. Yes, so it worked out. So our topic for this episode is Great Expectations, Mike Newell's 2012 adaptation of the novel by the same name by Charles Dickens. And I guess it's somewhat of a rote question to ask, but why this film from a thin place perspective? That is to say, what are the issues that you see in the film that touch on insights dealing with religion, faith, or spirituality? I think the main thing that attracted me to to the film, and also looking back to, to the book when I read it years and years ago, is just that theme of grace that Dickens really focuses on um, in in the source material. And that idea that, you know, even when systems and institutions oppress people, or even when people manipulate each other, people don't always deserve what happens to them. And we should make it our goal in life to just offer grace to, to, to those around us. And that's what really, I think, spoke to me the most in the film, since all of the characters are in need of grace in one way or another. Yes, that that's really true in terms of the need for grace. From a Christian perspective, we say grace is unmerited favor, you know, so, something good that happens to you that hasn't been earned. Of course, Great Expectations, the story, starts off with a young Pip who runs across a convict at the cemetery where he's visiting the graveyard and rather than turning the convict in he gives him food and a file and it turns out that this act of kindness ends up being the reason why uh, the convict many years later or one of the reasons why i guess we can talk about other reasons becomes his benefactor so I guess, to push that question back to you, is that really unmerited favor or is that sort of a a reward for a work that you've done? Like, is, is Pip really the recipient of grace or is he the recipient of, you know, is he rewarded for something good that he did when he was... 
I think you can you can argue that it is a reward in certain respects, but I do think that it is in many ways an act of grace just because the reward so outweighs what Pip did yeah. to, 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 to quote-unquote deserve it. I mean, giving someone food is one thing. Devoting your life to helping make another person wealthy and giving all of your love and resources to them is another. Right. Um, and I, I assume we're talking spoilers both for the film and for Yeah, the I book. forgot to give the the <laughs> the standard disclaimer. This is not a spoiler free discussion. So if you have never read Great Expectations or seen any of the other film adaptations, you probably don't want to listen too much further because I mean there will be plot spoilers. Right. But if you have read the book, I from what I remember of the book, the film stays pretty close to the source material so there won't be any major right deviances. i mean there was there was abridgments as there had you know right as, as there have to be but no radical changes I, I tend to agree with you that the theme of of grace comes across more strongly in the film than in other adaptations i've seen magwitch at a, a later part in the film when he's talking about what it was that resonated with Pip said that he saw something in Pip that reminded him of a child that he thought that he had lost. So there is a kind of substitutionary element. It's not just, uh, well, the standard example that I would think of, it's not just a British version of Les Miserables where there's a very strong connection between a random act of kindness and a person's response to that particular act of kindness. It's also worth saying in that whole grace versus merit argument uh, that the director, Mike Newell, said of Pip, you know, uh, that in his view, Pip is or can be a total shit, you know, it uh, once Pip gets some of that merit or favor or taste of the good life, he has a very complicated relationship with his past. And it is, in fact, some people like Joe, his his adopted father, I, I guess it, Joe married his sister, Pip's right. sister, uh, who takes care of him. Joe is the one who, when Magwit says he stole the food, you know, the pie to the police after he's caught, says... Well, you're welcome to it. I don't know what you did, right? Uh, but I wouldn't want you to starve for it. And so, in many ways, Joe extends grace, if not in the form of forgiveness for sins, in the form of understanding or compassion, even before Magwitch extends you know, grace back to to Pip. Uh, so I do think that there. There is less in the film of a a kind of Victorian coincidence that's linking a random act of kindness to the fate and more of an examination of the kind of values and principles that we have and how that affects the people that we become. Right. Well, I I think I was also struck just by its portrayal of class differences and how in many ways that kind of resonates today. Um, in terms of the divide between the upper class and the lower class. I mean, now nowadays you've got the, the Occupy movement and the 99% mm-hmm. versus the 1% and whatnot. And, and we still cling to, I think, um, in the United States, to that idea of the American dream and that idea that if you work hard enough, you inherently, quote-unquote, deserve to be 
successful to be quote unquote a gentleman as they put it okay. in great expectations the the puritan work ethic yes yes and, and you know we definitely see that in pip you know he has all of these dreams of success he he doesn't want to be a blacksmith he wants to rise above his station and i think he and to some extent we as the audience feel like he deserves that you know he seems like a good person so he must deserve all of the success. And I, I found it interesting that, you know, w at first he thinks his benefactor is Miss Havisham. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, that delusion feeds into his, you could say his ego or his arrogance and that idea that he deserves it because he worked for her. He was kind to her. He's in love with Estella. So of course it somewhat makes sense that maybe she would repay him. And I think when that that's what makes the realization that Magwitch is actually his benefactor so compelling. Because if Miss Havisham is the one helping him out, she has the resources for it. She's wealthy. She can do that no problem. But if Magwitch is his benefactor, then Pip has to come to the realization that actually his success isn't really due to anything that he did aside from one small act of compassion it's due to this man's lifetime of hard work well and even that one small act of compassion was still still involves an element of chance right you know that is to say as long as it's miss havisham or he thinks it's miss havisham he can feel as though there is something i can do Right. Uh, it may be distasteful. It may mean subjugating myself to the rich until I can join them. But I know the path from here to there. Right. There is a kind of randomness about the random act, uh, you know, of kindness or the reward for that that ends up being very typical of the Victorian coincidence. That if that's the case, well, how do I? How do I do that if I'm not Pip? Do I just hang around cemeteries and right. <laughs> hope that I you know, run into someone? Do I buy lottery tickets and uh, hope that God smiles on me? And so one of the, the sort of cruel or harder parts of Pip's growing awareness or self-consciousness would be that the awareness of the fact that the favor that he received is unmerited, right? right? That I haven't done anything. And that in many ways, too, I, I, I one of the things that, that really impressed me about this version is there's not just a, an awareness on Pip's part that, oh, I haven't merited these great expectations of these fortunes. I've been lucky more than I've been good. But there may, in fact, be other people who are more deserving. Right on a moral plane than I am, and what about them? Uh, right. There's a scene where he goes back after he has money to see Joe and see Joe working at the forge, and he can't go in. He turns his back on him. There's a place after he's lost some of his money where you know he has to uh, appeal to Joe for money to pay some debts, and Joe does so, and he even tries to say thank you to Joe. And Joe's like, it's only money. You're my family. I love you. And so I, I think there's a very keen awareness of um, 
not just the fickleness of fortune, which is a, a general trope in a lot of literature, but a real wrestling with the fact of, okay, why is it that the good don't always prosper? Not not just why do the evil sometimes succeed mm-hmm. and get money, but why is it too that the good sometimes don't don't always prosper? Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me ask you, kind of piggybacking on that, you mentioned the scene where Pip goes back to visit Joe and he can't go inside almost because he's embarrassed because the two have had a, a fight earlier mm-hmm. where Pip 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 was kind of ashamed of uh, Joe's uh, behavior. Um, and, and kind of lack of etiquette at, 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 at an earlier point. Do you agree with Mike Newell's perspective that Pip is, quote, a little shit and is kind of a, an arrogant asshole, to be blunt about it? Partially, not entirely. I, I mean, I think that – I think Pip was a child, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that in many ways that – developing sense of what I'm proud of and what I am ashamed of and what I should be proud of and what I am ashamed of are, are growing is very typical of of a young man, you know, of a young man or a person coming coming of age. Newell said in his Q&A that a lot of the Victorian novelists were waiting for, for Freud uh, with the implication being that, you know, that there's a lot of wanting to kill the parents or that it's just natural in terms of, of a coming of age. And he does make the point that Newell did make the point that in his mind, most of the kids, Pip and Estella were abused children. And so in some ways, then it's like he's Newell seems to be like, I will absolve Pip of the worst parts of that. I will acknowledge that his actions are bad, but he's a product of the environment mm-hmm. that had created him. I always sort of, when I teach the Victorians, I'd said not that they're waiting for Freud, but that they're in the age of Marx. Mm-hmm. And I think the allure of a Marxist social determinism is that it gives you that excuse of everything's environmentally determined. Right. I'm not a bad person. I am what financial hardship has made me. And I think that the, there's actually a deeper spiritual insight where it there needs to be both. That there is, we can acknowledge that social pressures or environment has a factor in making you who you are. And at that particular point, you know, maybe Pip is a little bit of a, a jerk. Uh, well, not a little bit. You know, maybe he's he's a lot of a jerk. It's a very painful moment, mm-hmm. but he's not done yet. It's right. it's not over. And uh, the problem that I have with that sort of Marxist worldview is to say that individual human choices are not possible. Miss Havisham says of Estella, "I stole her heart away and put ice in its place." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, maybe you try to. But at the end of the day, Estella still has to make her own choices. Right. Uh, there's a wonderful line in the the rock opera Chess uh, that has a song called "Pity the Child," and, and it says um, the the character talks about how mistreated he was by his parents, and it says "Pity the child, but not forever, mm-hmm. not if he stays that way." Right. You know, and and so I, I think that there is a real sociological insight in the way that environment 
shapes and harms children. But I think at the end of the day, Dickens is too much of a moralist to let Pip off the hook for individual choices. And I think that that, that choice becomes so painful. Well, you know, watching him turn his back on Joe becomes so painful. Exactly because there's that part of human decency in us that can't totally absolve Pip. Uh, you know, right. of that, but he doesn't stay there. You know, I mean, he 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 learns from that. And if if environmental determinism were true, uh, then I think he couldn't re uh, reestablish relationships with Joe and come to learn a little bit about um, what it means to be a good person. Uh, for me, the and I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but I mean the key point in the movie that shows Pip's insight is when he's talking to Magwitch and he says, I wish I could be more deserving of your love. Right. Y you know, uh, that is to say, and I think the fact that once he realizes that it's Magwitch and he realizes, oh, I'm ashamed and some of my assumptions are wrong, that doesn't just shatter his life, but that allows him to reform some of his expectations about what the world is like. And I think that opens the door for him to be able to go back to Joe or some other people and say, maybe I haven't been deserving of their love you right. know, either. And thinking about his own love for Estella, maybe that love is something that it's not a matter of my not being deserving of her love because I don't have enough money. Maybe she's not yet deserving mm -hmm. of my love because of you know the things that have happened to her. Yeah, I, I totally um, agree with what you're saying, especially getting back to, to, to what you mentioned about the whole Marxist worldview. Um, I mean, this this idea of individual achievement and, culpa and culpability versus um, kind of the, the contextual and, and environmental institutions that shape people. I mean, that's the, that's the conflict in the debate that we still see today. I mean, I'm reminded of the recent political uh, debates in the United States where, you know, one of the dominant slogans being thrown around is, you didn't build that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you, you didn't do it on your and own. And Pip did not build He that. didn't. He didn't. You know, Pip did not build his fortune by himself. He needed a benefactor. He needed help. But at the same... And he needed to steal the pot that he gave to Magwitch, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> but at the same time... He is responsible for his own moral choices and for how he treats other people. And I, I, I find it interesting that Dickens acknowledges everyone in the film is a victim in one way or another of these institutions and these, these this kind of social hierarchy. Um, but at the same time, every, that doesn't let you off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you could argue that Magwitch is a victim of poverty or his upbringing or whatever that leads him into his life of crime. But ultimately, well, and of a justice system that right. is not fair and equitable, you know, the, of a justice system that is a respecter of class rather than right. no respecter of class. But at the same time, he still has the capacity to, to, to change mm -hmm. and to make that choice. I am going to devote my life to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Miss Havisham is the victim of manipulation um, and, and it, it, defrauding that's outside of her control. And unfortunately, she 
lets that define her. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, and, and, and that decision doesn't just affect her, it also affects Estella right. and everyone around her. You know, I don't think it was her intention to turn Estella into this sort of cold person with a heart of ice, but that is inadvertently the result. Oh, I think it was. I mean, oh, I, I, I think she's quite clear that she says, you know, I want to, I wanted to spare her from any pain that I, you know, had, and, I, and it, that it was quite deliberate. And right. Um, but I do. I, I mean, I do absolutely agree with your sort of paralleling of Magwitch and Miss Havisham as the two victims, and one of them who sort of embraces her identity of victimhood and lets that define her and justify her mm-hmm. or tries to let it justify her. Um, I, for me, one of the most morally bracing moments of the film is is Miss Havisham's end, which in the book and in other film adaptations is always kind of shown in much more of a romanticized gothic you know sort of tragic crash and burn ending and I, I, here literally it's really <laughs> it's could, really horrible i, I, I mean i, I could remember is that how she goes out in the book yeah, she okay. yeah i mean it's i i mean um now my under my understanding in the book is that the whole thing burns down not just her okay you know and i one of the changes here is that she catches on fire but not the rest of the the room and mm-hmm. so pip is able to put it out and we get a few moments of miss havisham having her kurtz if you recognize the heart of darkness reference moment of you know that 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 moment of self-recognition before i pass into the abyss mm-hmm. but her end her moment of self-awareness is 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 painful and and horrible and she becomes even at the end more so than any other version i've seen a little bit more of a tragic figure right uh, then cuz that's the other thing about victimization is a lot of times it becomes when you become aware of someone's victimization, Miss Havisham has always been harder to pity because by the time you find out her story, you're already blaming her for the things that she's done as opposed to – it's like if you find out someone's victimization before – at what point do you find out or become aware of? And I think there's something spiritual or Christian in that too of of really reminding us – to be very careful about how quickly we judge. Well, this person's a convict. This person's a criminal. This person's an illegal alien. This person's, you know, a, a thief. So I've taken the whole measure of that particular. This person's a victim. You know, this person's a good person. This person will never amount to anything. Um, and you know, Dickens is very good, and the film is very good about reminding us that. Well, it's a cliche, right? But the part of the person that we see that touches us is the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of times people have have pain, have skills, have love, have capacities uh, that would surprise us if mm-hmm. we would just log. Right. And, and, and again, I think the, 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 the tragic thing about Miss Havisham is that she does have this moment of self-realization where she recognizes both her own victimization and how she has, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, used that victimization as an excuse to victimize others. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that it comes at the very end of her life where she it's too late for her to really change. Um, I think it's telling that her last words, all she can say is just forgive me, Pip. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. 
And in that moment, Pip's a bit too angry to really yeah. do it. The, 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 the thing that... Although I do think it's significant that the very next scene when he's been being cleaned up is right. he's got blood on his hands and they're trying to really wash the blood. Uh, yes. no, some people may think that's too Lady Macbeth or too on the nose or, <laughs> or, or whatnot. Uh, but there is a nice visual segue there between his inability to forgive her and the visual representation that he himself is not without guilt, you know, and that mm-hmm. that's very biblical, right? Be careful the measure with which you judge because, you know, we that all measure will fall short will, of the glory of God. You know, well, yeah, yeah not, not just not not even just that, but, you know, the measure by which you judge that by that measure, you too shall be judged. And so right. we're so very quick to say about other people that what they've done is unforgivable. Um but then do we really want that that measure to be attached to us? Well, I think arguably the most um the most profound quote unquote spiritual idea to be found in great expectations is one that's found in all religions, not just Christianity, that idea of both um good deeds and evil deeds as being as being cyclical. You know, in Christianity, it's that idea of treat others the way you yourself want to be treated. And in uh, Buddhism, it's the idea of good karma and, you know, your your good actions will result in good fortune and, and, and good f- later down the road. W- what was interesting to me about Great Expectations is that we see how both uh, grace and victimization get passed down through the generations. Yeah, the sins of the father are visited upon right. the sons. Right. And yet, so too are the, you know, uh, a, a righteous man God blesses for, what is it, 100 generations or 20 generations? Right. Um, I mean, the, 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 the victimization of Miss Havisham ultimately results in the victimization and, the, and, and arguably the um, perversion of Estella. But at the same time, the grace that Pip shows in that first scene towards Magwitch ultimately results in the grace Magwitch has back to Pip and the grace that Pip will, in the film's final scene, uh, visit on Estella. On Estella. And so right. Estella becomes the inheritor of both a curse and a grace. You, yes. You know? And that's very true of all of us. Uh, I don't want to be a spoiler um, because I think one of the real pleasures of the film um, for the people who know the book is the way Newell, because I was wondering about this, the way Newell negotiates uh, the fact that the book had two endings. And I think that Newell handles that perfectly. I mean, I think he, he ends the film exactly where it needs to be ending to allow for, you know, a an ending that is true to both the film and the story but allows for uh, a certain amount of ambiguity. And so I thought that was that was very well done. Right. You know, in many ways, it's not necessarily important if Pip and Estella end up together. And the way Newell ends the film, you could interpret it, well, maybe they do, but maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. The important thing is that they've both come to realize both how they've been victimized, but yet also both how they've been recipients of grace mm-hmm. and how they can in turn move forward in their lives uh, acknowledging that, that they don't necessarily deserve what they've got and they should just kind of, I guess, be grateful and 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 try to 
quote unquote pay it forward. <laughs> they, they, they've come to a point where they have to make choices and own the choices rather than simply blaming the past for right. yeah, I, I agree. Anything else? Um, not really. Okay. Uh, other than to say I really enjoyed the film and I'll probably go see it again just because I thought some of those ideas were, were so well. Yes, I, one of the, the best, if not the best Dickens adaptation I've, I've seen. And yes, I've seen the David Lean version. Um, so, okay, if you want to follow Andrew on Twitter, you can follow him at twitter.com backslash writer Andrew. Yes. And um, any place else? Well, I'm also uh, writing regular daily updates from the Toronto International Film Festival at filmgeekradio.com. And I'll, I'll keep uh, writing a variety of things for, for the website once we're back from Toronto. Okay. And if you want to follow me, uh, Ken uh, on Twitter, that's twitter.com backslash Ken Moorfield, or you can read my reviews, including my review of Great Expectations, which you know, we'll link to the podcast website at the number one morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.